I have a long list of things in my life that events, things that I said, things that I did that I wish I could do over. The earliest one that I remember, I was five years old. I had a friend named Rusty. Rusty and I were really good friends. Rusty lived down the street from me in Frankfort, Indiana. And this was a street full of older houses. And in his house was a big uh, uh, tree. And on the tree, there was a tire swing. And I was kind of throwing the tire swing around. And Rusty says to me, hey, Mark, because that's what everybody called me back then. Hey, Mark, don't do that. That's my tire swing. Don't throw it. Hey, Mark, stop it. Hey, Mark, you're going to hit somebody. Stop. Well, when he said it the third time, you know, that was like a dare. And so you may not know this, but I have a little bit of a mischievous streak in me. <laughs> and so I yielded, I heaved back, let it go. Bam, it hit him clean on. It was... To this day, at age 47, it's the best throw I've ever made in my, entire, <laughs> in my entire life. Hit him smack dab in the chest, knocked him onto his back, and I knocked the wind out of him. He's on his back doing the whole... <gasps> I did what any five-year-old boy would do. I ran. <laughs> I ran all the way home, and I hid in my room, and I was thinking to myself, wonder if I killed him. Wonder if I'll go to jail. He was mad at me the rest of the time that I lived in Frankfurt, Indiana. Now, in 1999, there was this movie called Galaxy Quest. And Galaxy Quest, uh, let me see if I can get this going here. There we go. Galaxy Quest is a great movie if you love Star Trek, because Galaxy Quest is a Star Trek parody. And the, the crew of the spaceship protector have this device. They have a special weapon, the Omega-13 device. And the whole film, you're trying to figure out, what on earth does this device do? I mean, what is it? And at the end of the film, you get to see. If you push this button, if you push this button, boom, you go back in time 13 seconds. It's the most amazing thing. 13 seconds is long enough for you to correct a wrong, it's long enough for you to make up for a stupid mistake. Man, I wish I had an Omega-13 device. I could have so used one of those when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, our junior high had one of these traveling Christmas uh, stores that came into our gymnasium and you could buy gifts and stuff for family members. And I remember I, I, I had saved up money and I went and in my family, in the Vanderpool family, there was one person who was the demigod of the family, and that was Grandpa Vanderpool. Everybody revered him. He was like a Moses character. Everybody talked highly of him, you know, and, and he had this garden, and Grandpa Vanderpool was into woodworking. In my church office behind my desk is this giant mosaic wood piece. He made that in like 1960 when he retired. Okay, and he would make things out of logs and out of pieces of wood. And there at the store was this wooden log that had three candle holders in it and three candles. And I was like, oh, that's Grandpa Vanderpool. And I was so excited and I bought it and I had like 35 cents left. I mean, it took almost all my money and everything was going great until the Vanderpool family Christmas. When he opened the gift, and I'm not going to rat out which relative, it's not anyone in my immediate family, okay? But an extended family member, as soon as he opened the gift, out of their mouth, my mom is smiling, <laughs> out of their mouth, 
Mark, what a stupid gift. Oh, it's one of those slow motion things like in a sci-fi film. Oh, if I'd had the, I would have never bought that, baby. I mean, I could take me back in time. I'll rectify that. Keep the money. Pocket the money. I'll buy stuff at Val Department Store. What a stupid gift. Do over. And then when I was, when I was in love and, and Jenny and I were dating and I liked her and she liked me, I thought we were spending all this time together, like huge amounts of time, like a vortex of time. If you ask her, you get a whole other different story. Like it's almost like she never saw me and it was like I studied and worked all the time. And I took this one class, Old Testament 374, and this class was like a big deal class at Wheaton College because it was done by one of the translators of the New International Version. And we were talking about why they translated things certain ways and it was geeky and it was everything I loved. And at the end of the semester, I got my grades and in that class, I got a B. I got a B. And when Jenny and I were together, out of my mouth came this statement. You know, I got a B in that class because of you. <laughs> now, wait a minute. This is supposed to be... This is supposed to be a safe place, a, a judgment-free zone. You are free to talk about me on the way home. <laughs> that is a technical foul, okay? And yes, that statement came up in arguments for the next 15 years. <laughs> I, where was that Omega-13 device? <laughs> engage, engage. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but I have done enough things that I wish I had a do-over button. I wish I had a do-over button. Anyone in this room who's over the age of 40, you get it because you've lived there. You've done it. And if you're here today and you're 14, 16, 18 years old, I know you get it. I'm just saying that in another 20 years, you're going to get it with high emotional tensity and Pentecostalism. You're going to feel it, okay? <laughs> you're going to feel the need for the Omega-13 device. When I was a junior in college, doctor, I had Dr. Lake for a class on German theologians. Dr. Lake was perpetually angry all the time. He was, I'm not making this up. He had this, uh, I'll borrow your stand. He had this unique character trait. Randomly, as he was lecturing, he would pound the table, he would pound the desk, and he would just do that, and it rattled students. Well, we took the midterm, and the highest grade on the midterm was my brainiac roommate who got a C plus. And so Dr. Lake, you know, and the rest of us were failing, okay? <laughs> the rest of us did not well. And so the next class, he's in front of us, and he always stood like this, and he was just, did I mention he was always perpetually angry? Yes, so he's, and I think it was because he was short. He, you know, he's, I'm, I don't know, I, you know, it's four foot one, I, you know, so he's this little guy, but he pounded and he was mad all the time. And, and he said, he said, I have obviously failed you. You know, and all our eyes are big and he goes into this speech. The highest grade was Andrew, you know, at a C plus, this is unacceptable. Clearly, I do not know how to teach. I should quit but I can't have that option and you're stuck in this class. So I'm going to throw out, and he had them and he literally walked over to the waste can, boom, and threw them in the waste can. And he goes, over the next two weeks, I'm gonna, we're gonna up our game and we're gonna retake and it's gonna be a new exam. It was a do-over. It was a do-over. We got to do a do-over. And you know what? The, we all A's and B's and it was like awesome sauce. 
Doctor, thank you, Dr. Lake. I don't know what that was. No matter how much I love a do-over button, right? No matter how much I love a do-over and the idea of it, I have learned that there are some things in life that you can't do over, that you can't repair, that you can't fix, right? I brought along a science demonstration for this. We spare no expense at, we, at Generations on our science experiment demonstrations. Um, I, the pyrotechnics disclaimer is in your bulletin, okay? So I have a standard eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, right? You can all see this, right? So when I do this, if I were, nice effect. If I, <laughs> I'll pay you the $5 after the service, okay? <laughs> If I were to challenge one of you and give you 60 seconds to restore this piece of paper to its original condition, could you? In 60 seconds? Right. You could tape it. You could tape it. You could glue it. You could, you could kind of put it back together behind some plexiglass, but you cannot restore it to its original condition. And there are some things in life that are like that, aren't there? Um, you cannot undo a bad haircut. When they go too short, right, and you, were th and you think to yourself, I wanted it longer, you cannot uncut that hair, okay? You cannot unsay a mean thing. Once it's out, it's out. I gotta be in that class because, it, right, it, once it's out, it's out. You cannot unsay it. You cannot unkill three fish that you accidentally suffocate. Don't ask me, don't ask me how I know that. I just know that there are some things in life that are irreversible, that are permanent, that are irrevocable, okay? And in order to do that, I wanna give you this definition. In order to go where we're going today, I want you to know what irreversible means. This is right out, this is a screenshot, okay? And I used Bing. Uh, irreversible, <laughs> they're like, what's that? Not able to be undone or altered. This is the last thing you want to hear. I had a, f a friend of a friend who, uh, Lake Cumberland, was skiing. Uh, with, because of the waves, she lost the rope. The, the boat was turning around. Another boat did not see her in the water. The word that the doctors used about the brain damage that she had was this word right here, irreversible. And as soon as we heard the word, we knew. We knew exactly. Unable to be undone unable to be altered. Today, I want to explain to you why the bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus is so important and give you one reason why Christians put so much hope in God because of it. And knowing what irreversible is, is important. In the Gospels, we see Jesus consistently doing the irreversible. He consistently reverses the irreversible. He interfaces with lepers, right? Leprosy is this horrible disease. It's a skin disease. Now, in the first century, it covered a whole bunch of skin conditions. But the leprosy that we know today, you lose feeling in your, in your extremities. You begin to lose your digits, your toes, your fingers. You, you cut yourself. You don't know. So the wounds go get infected. You can pick up boiling water and 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 hot, hot stuff, and you don't even know it because you don't feel it. It's terrible. And Jesus encountered lepers, and he touched them, and he healed them. He healed them in a way that he reversed what was and should be irreversible, if you take the stories at face value. He encountered people who were born blind, 
and he restored their sight. They couldn't see. There's this amazing account in one of the Gospels, and it creates a problem because the parents are not wanting to verify in a court that their son was born blind. They're like, look, we don't want to get involved. All we can tell you is that, yes, he was born blind. Now he can see. That's all we know. That's all we know. <laughs> There's the deposition. He encountered, uh, on the night he was betrayed, uh, Judas shows up with temple guards with Roman soldiers and a mob to arrest Jesus. And a couple of the other disciples have these uh, uh, swords. They wouldn't have been Sakari swords, they would have, but they would have been short. And, and they had them. And, you know, in the hustle and bustle of it all, in the realization of, oh, no, this is bad, one of them lops off the ear of the, the high priest's assistant. And we're told that Jesus restored his ear. Neurologically, physically, the ear that was cut off is put back on and is healed. I know, it's fantastical. He even commanded a dead guy to come out of the tomb who had been in there two days. His name was Lazarus. And the guy did, okay? So in the Gospels, we see this man who was able to reverse what is supposed to be irreversible. Last week, when we left the story, Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was nailed to a cross. There's the people outside of Lazarus' tomb. The man who healed lepers, the man who restored sight to the blind, the man who could do all of these things, the man who could literally command someone to come out of the grave, hung on that cross for six hours until he died. And the people at the foot of the cross, right? They're saying, save yourself. Come down from the cross. We've seen the stuff. Come on, the stuff. Let's go, Jesus. And he hangs there and he dies. And it's a powerful moment for everyone who had followed him because in that moment, they think to themselves, oh, wrong guy. I could have swore it was him. I could have swore it was him. So because the next day is the Sabbath, Jews can't have the dead corpses or dying people on trees, so got to take them down. The Roman soldiers come along to break the legs, to hurry it along, and they discover Jesus is already dead. So they're taking them down, and this man who's relatively wealthy has a tomb that's not used, Joseph of Arimathea, and he goes to Pilate and says, look, I'll store the body temporarily. Let's you know, let's make this arrangement, and they do. And so they take Jesus' body, they put it in a tomb. This is on a Friday as the sun is setting, and all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning. And his followers have had time, it's a day and a half, they've had time to kind of reflect on where they are and what's happened. And that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 and following. So if you brought a Bible, you can open it to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 24 today. This is what Luke says. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. These women are going to the tomb 
to properly prepare Jesus' body for permanent burial. You and I have what's called hindsight bias. It's a term psychologists use. It's why I can never watch a World War II documentary. I can't, I can't. I, I love everything about World War II and I just can't force myself to watch World War II document, documentaries. You wanna know why? The Nazis lose. They lose every single time. I already know how it's gonna play out. Yes, Pearl Harbor, woo, big shock, but watch out for D-Day, baby. Like, I know the story. And so the angst and everything else that Americans felt in 1942, I mean, there, there was no, oh, we're gonna kick Hitler's butt. It was, we're gonna kick Hitler's butt. I hope this works out. <laughs> they didn't know how it would end. They didn't know how it went in. And, and so we have this tendency, we can look back and we can say, oh, these women are going to the tomb to receive great news. No, they were going to the tomb to bury their dreams. The one that they thought was the Messiah, the one they thought that God had promised, and they realized, wrong guy, wrong guy. That's that word there. They went, uh, they found the stone, they didn't find the body. This word right here, puzzled. Some Bible translations translate that as they marveled. No, they didn't marvel. You know what they were having at that moment? It's a moment you've had more than once. Huh? What? I get that all the time. I'm a middle-aged man. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> Slow down for me, okay? Right. Well, let's, let's keep going. Verses 5 and following. The women were terrified, okay, these men that had appeared, and bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. And the kicker, remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. They remembered, uh, next little part, they remembered he had said this. So it's kind of like it, these two angels, these two messengers are kind of issuing a rebuke. Hey, remember, recall, right? He told you about this. And there's this, oh, oh, that's right moment of that's right, he did, he said that, okay? And of course, they go, they want to tell other people. Uh, and that's the second part of that uh, so, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like what? Nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the linen wrappings, and he went home again wondering what had happened. And there's that word again, wondering. Remember what that means? Huh? What? Huh? What's going on? Has somebody taken his body? The early accounts of Jesus' resurrection encourage me profoundly because the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection are people who are like, what's going on? They're skeptical. They, they doubt they want to know, they want to investigate, they are very modern and contemporary. They react the way you and I would in similar circumstances. I love the way the gospel accounts draw this out. And for those of you that, that wonder from time to time, is there any legitimacy to the resurrection? 
Well, one of them is the fact of who's reporting it. If you're going to make up a story in the first century and you're going to make up a whopper of a good one and you want to have credibility to your story, you're not going to have women be first on the scene and have them be the ones that are discovering what's going on. At the risk of being sexist, they just discounted women 20 centuries ago. This is where you go, Pastor Max, that still happens. I know I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> I'm working on it. But 20 centuries ago, they just discounted the testimony of women because it came from women. So if you're going to invent something, why would you, have, why would you put it in there that way? All right? It's the women have this, huh? That Peter and John have this, huh? Wondering, there's that word again. There are disciples that are on their way back to go back to their homes. They're on this road to Emmaus. It's a town. Jesus walks along with them, and they're terribly discouraged. And the language, what they tell, what they tell them is, you know, we had thought he was the one, but we were wrong. It's kind of like how Republicans felt in 1976 when they put Ford up, right? There was this moment in the, the, the thing historians point to where the, the Republican convention, they're like, oh, we should have voted for Reagan, right? You feel that when you, so the feeling that they have is the same kind of intense feeling that people have when they work for someone who's running for office and the election results come in and they're thumped. And you're like, wasn't our time, wrong, wrong person, wrong time, didn't work. You're, you're deflated. That's the feeling that's going on. But over time, over the next few days, over the next couple of weeks, he begins appearing more and more. And so the skepticism begins to become something else. It's a, holy cow, do you know? Like, he rose from the dead. I mean, they're going around, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta understand this. He, I know he was on the cross, I know he was dead, but he is like alive, I'm telling you, I saw him, he was there, even Thomas, who did the whole, look, when I can put my finger in the holes, fine. Otherwise, forget it, didn't happen. Dead people stay dead. And then Jesus is like, hey, oh, <laughs> it's you, what? What are you doing here, okay? The, the accounts that we have of this resurrection, and because of some fragments of some of the Gospels and, and Corinthians that we're finding, this isn't something that Christians in the 300s invented and then put back onto the first century. This is something the earliest followers of Jesus insisted. So maybe you can conclude like one of the more famous New Testament scholars has recently published an article and he basically said, what happened is there was a mass hallucination and everybody hallucinated and saw Jesus rise from the dead, but it really wasn't Jesus rising from the dead. It was a mass hallucination. This is in a very scholarly publication. And I look at that and I go, how does that take more faith than what I'm having to take? Like, help me understand this, okay? This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story concocted by the disciples to make up for a horrific loss. This is an event rooted in history, and these people went to their graves insisting that man from Nazareth rose from the dead. The cross pays for our sin, but the resurrection gives us life. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us power. And I want to flesh that out for you a little bit, right? The resurrection gives us life. It says this in John 11. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. We're not just saved from something, we're saved 
to something. We're saved to abundant life that begins now and culminates on the day of resurrection. The other thing the resurrection gives us is power. In Romans, Paul says this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Get this, the spirit of God who did what? Raised Jesus from the dead is where? In you, in you. That same spirit, that same power is in you. You have a habit you wanna kick? That same spirit, that same power is in you. I can't tell you how important this is. I know, I'm getting Pentecostal. Hope, the resurrection gives hope. Two years ago, I was at a chamber event and we sent off uh, the golfers uh, on their rounds and one of the people at the table left of us, chamber ambassadors, had lost a friend to cancer. And so we were talking about, is this life all there is? Is there more to this life? How does that work? And each person went around the table and told what they thought, what they believed. But at, at one point, I asked the question, I said, do any of you here feel that if this life is all there is, you live, you're born, you die, that somehow you're being robbed? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, why? Is it because you, you have to give up your stuff? And they were like, no, 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 no. It's the relationships. It's the relationships, losing the relationships. I mean, it's wrong. It goes against everything that's in me. And I'm like, hmm, how interesting. How interesting, right? The resurrection gives us hope. And the guy who... Uh, wrote this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have hope. The guy writing this, of course, is the guy who denied him three times and thought, I've ruined that relationship. And he's, here he is writing later in his life, and he says, we have hope. The resurrection of Jesus still brings life, power, and hope today. He does. I hope that you will use it. That power, that spirit is at work in you. I hope, too, that you will trade religion for relationship. Religion is all about what you can do for God. The gospel is about what God has done for you and what God will do through you. And there is a profound difference. A profound difference. And lastly, I want you to expect the impossible confession time. Hi, my name's Max, and I'm a realist, which is just another way of saying I have a tendency to be a pessimist, okay? <laughs> Meaning out of my mouth in my life have come these phrases, I can't, they won't, it'll never happen. I'm now old enough to have watched God do the impossible so many different times that I now filter before those words come out of my mouth, okay? I remember, a day, uh, I remember a day when I said to somebody, wouldn't it be amazing, Dave Potter was in a different set of circumstances, wouldn't it be amazing if Dave ends up an elder at Generations one day? I remember all the years that my dad prayed for my mom. I'm in my small group now with my mom. She's an amazing person. Uh, I remember when we launched Generations Community Church, uh, and I thought, man, Nicholasville is a graveyard of churches. It's so where I want to plant one because everything that starts here fails. <laughs> and yet took the risk, and here you are today. Here you are today. Um, I was complaining to a friend two weeks ago. Man, it feels like I spend all this time and I invest in these people, and then they go off on the mission field or they go to another state, and they looked at me and they go, Max, 
Generations is a sending church. That's awesome. And I go, but I want to be a receiving church. (laughs) The impossible, the impossible. You don't just have the testimony of some fishermen and women from the first century. You have the testimony of hundreds of thousands of people since then who will say, I have encountered Jesus and I am changed because of it. I know this in my own life because uh, the family tree that I come out of, and here I, uh, to, you know, I, I love Jenny, I love my kids, I tell my kids all the time, I'm sorry, your dad's working on it, he's got issues, but boy, I'm trying, <laughs> right? Um, I avoid, there's innately in me, I just hate risk, I want to avoid risk. I became a church planner, like, are you getting the impossible in here, okay? Expect the impossible, and more than that, and this is our bottom, my bottom line for the day. Oh, that's, here's, in case you didn't know, right? Here's the definition of realists, right? Uh, boom. <laughs> yes, you caught it. You caught it, right? <laughs> I won't say it for the recording. I'll just, <laughs> right? Okay. And yet... And yet, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. He did not stay dead. The resurrection can change the rest of your story if you will believe and follow. It's simple, but it's hard. But the impossible comes into play. Believe and follow. Will our musicians come up? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the resurrection. I I admit, I'm not 100%, but I'm well over 90% that this thing happened. Thank you that we see in Jesus that ripped pieces of paper can somehow be restored. What is broken can be made whole. That is something amazing. That's what we long for. So even so, come, Lord Jesus. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?